0: Mark, it doesn't sound like the dog is with you today.
1: The dog, you know, he is with me, and he, uh, he may pull me to the side, but we bait, he's got a routine. You know, he likes sniffing a lot towards the beginning, and then he kind of falls into a little routine of just going slightly behind and to the side of me. He's on a uh, leash that goes around my waist. So it works pretty well.
0: And how far are you out for today?
1: Well with the total will be 25 miles but I um, might break it up with a little movie slash treadmill running at some point but for now probably do about eight miles with the dog see how he does nice and cool today and the dog does well in that weather. <laughs>
0: I'm glad you're turning him into an athlete because I think that that before you were talking about six
1: being his limit,
0: I think.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to work him a little bit, see what happens over time. Yeah, get him a little further and further. Well, sure. I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this because
0: I want to start today with a little different kind of uh, story. We've been discussing some serious issues. We've been talking about race, we've been talking about justice, we've, we've sort of talked a bit about gender, but I want to start today briefly with uh, potentially an even more important subject, which is sports. So you and I yep. both, were both uh, basketball fans, Celtics fans, and in fact, uh-huh. uh, we, we, we had the good fortune to go to uh, the opening uh, season opener this year the the home opener uh, against toronto which the celtics won if you remember way back when sports was regular
1: um uh, that seems like a lifetime ago i <laughs> my gosh okay wow
0: being in a crowded <laughs> arena screaming next to a million people you don't know you know um So then, of course, we had this uh, pandemic and the NBA got shut down mid-season and then rebooted itself and had this sort of, you know, to to sort of finish up quickly the truncated season. And when they came back, they not only um, were we sort of under this, they were in this bubble, but it was also following... Ah, uh, the whole set of, of of nationwide discussion that had started following George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and so interestingly, one of the things that they did was they the NBA came up with this list of words, right, that the players can wear on the back of their jersey. Interestingly, I know where you're
1: going with this. Yeah, okay, they, they, keep going. They,
0: they they didn't let the they didn't let the players just put whatever they want. They created a list, and the players could choose right. a variety of, of things, right, to put on the the back of their yeah. players. So, which I thought yeah. was interesting. Um. So, but here's the thing: we we were watching not at the same time. I, you know, we were we were checking in uh, after after the games by phone at one point, point. and Gordon Hayward, a Celtic player, not the only one in the NBA with this, but. His jersey on the back said education reform. That was the message yep. he had chosen from the list. And you made uh, a bit of a remark uh, sort of scoffing at that, which made me think of yeah. how at the end of our last session, when I was saying, well, let's get into a little bit about the role of, of what's what's a white man's role today in education reform, and yep. uh, it's clear to me you have a problem with education reform. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess you think everything's great the way it is. So talk to me <laughs> about what what is the problem with education reform? I think we got to start with that.
1: Okay, but I have two. I have a couple side notes. Just going back to the whole basketball shirt thing. Several things. One, very curious of why. You cannot purchase those shirts. They don't sell them. Really? So you cannot you cannot get them. Yeah. So what's that all about? That just seems weird? Like what's the what's going on there? Yeah. Um they they market everything. Curious. I can't believe they'd right. be trying to sell those. Yeah. So so interesting. Number two best uh, uh slogan or whatever the the word on the back of the shirt, Jalen Brown, liberation. But I think I mentioned that to you liberation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, liberation is for everyone, including the, you know, it's the oppressed and the oppressor. It's everyone. Everyone needs to be liberated uh, from the things that hold us to, they hold us down from being the people we can really be and being the community we can be. Anyway, and the third thing I'll just say is, you know, you got a couple people, including LeBron, who didn't put anything on their jersey. And we are like, look, I'm pretty serious about this. I'm not going to be pigeonholed into one concept. And I thought that was super interesting, especially from LeBron, who is one of, you know, he goes in there with with um, Bill Russell, Kareem, Muhammad Ali as one of the people at the top of the game that is willing to speak up, speak out. Yep. And that's, you know, we just have not seen that many times. And, you know, it'd be interesting to go back and kind of study Michael Jordan a little more carefully who really has stepped up in a way he never did as a player. So all that, just think, super interesting. Sure, someone will write a book about it someday. Um, anyway, okay, so now education reform. I don't know if you remember this. When I left, so you know, I was the founding executive director of the Denver Public Schools office for school reform and innovation so that was my job for about a year and I was involved in basically building that office even involved in making the name for that office
0: Um, do you do you have do you have like a jacket that says school reform across the (laughs) back because it seems like you should
1: (laughs) that would be awesome yeah we were OSRI, O S R I. So, anyway, we, uh, so then I, at some point, like, leave, I leave BPS to go open one of the charter schools that we've talked about. And uh, I wrote an article for that, what is it? Ed News, not Ed News. Yeah, Chalkbeat. Chalkbeat. Do you ever yeah. look at that? Yes, yeah, it's quite good. Um, Chalkbeat, I'm 99% sure, actually started in Denver, and I'm pretty sure the guy, if I'm getting the story straight, we knew the guy that was there that started. He was a journalist and a foundation person. Anyway, uh, so I was kind of linked into that at that time, and so I wrote a post that was something like, why I don't believe in education reform. I don't know if you remember this. And it went viral. It was the most read post at the time that it, that Chalkbeat had ever had. And part of the reason was it got reposted by a woman that was connected to a New York site or whatever, you know, blog. Okay. It got reposted and it got really looked at. And, of course, like... So here I am, the former executive director of the Office of School Reform and Innovation, writing a blog about basically opening a charter school, and not only a charter, a turnaround charter school, writing an article, (laughs) why I don't believe in education reform. Um, And so I have thoughts on this. So first of all, if we frame the question, what's the role of kind of white men you know, in education reform, I would say white men are exactly the people doing education reform. And I'll define what education reform is, but it's a thing and white men are central to it. Um, I don't think it's a good thing. And therefore I want to talk, kind of shift to like, what can we do in education, or in society, or with um, social justice and social change, that is not education reform. Do you get me so far? I'm, I'm with you.
0: I'm inspired. I gotta go. I gotta,
1: okay. I gotta go back to this article, by the or this blog post. I, I, I forgot about that. Yeah, I wonder if you can still access it. If it's still like in cyberspace somewhere. So anyway um the the idea of education reform to me the way i always looked the way the metaphor i've used in the past and i'll use the same one there's a box that box represents our educational system and i think all education reform efforts that I'd classify as ed reform are just playing around inside the box. They have nothing to do with changing the box itself. And we, you know, we don't need to get into a huge conversation today, but I think if we could, you and I could agree pretty quickly that the box was created... To reinforce and support the divides in society and the concepts of the Industrial Revolution. And just maybe never quite made sense, and certainly doesn't make sense today. So the Ed reform efforts just all seem so, you know, futile because they're all playing inside the box. And if we take a term from Peter Sende and systems thinking, it's called shifting the burden archetype, and with, which basically means you're addressing the symptoms of a problem instead of the root cause. Why well, I like the, the visual and the, the idea of this archetype is it basically says look, not only are you not addressing the root cause, but every time you continue to address the symptoms, the root cause becomes more problematic. The neglect of the root cause makes it So um, I think that what ed reform is, like it's a much bigger issue, which I'll call like the industrial model of education, and by being such a focus to the point that Gordon Hayward's wearing it on his shirt, um, it's to stress fundamental problems that need to be addressed. Okay. I've been talking probably for two miles. I'm going to stop. So I – let's keep the sports talk going for
0: one second. I read, I don't know, maybe a week or two ago – Colin Kaepernick had published, I don't know when he published, but uh, I think there's going to be a series that he's involved in in a whole series of things. But he published a really powerful essay that was about abolition and really talking about abolition of the police and the prison system. And I don't think he's using those terms lightly. Um, I think he's, you know, really... (laughs) really talking about what you're talking about, you know, different systems right now, but that we can't tweak a reform. And as I read it, yeah, but what came to my mind was, oh, yes, I'm surprised actually more people aren't saying the exact same thing about our education system because our education system has some of the same problems. I guess what I'm trying to understand is... Well, one question I'm trying to understand is, what does it mean to go beyond reform? What does it mean to get outside of the box? What does it mean to shift that paradigm? And what are the key steps to doing that? Because, I'm, I, you know, so his, his essay about abolition of the police or prisons on the one hand, I say, okay, that makes sense. On the other hand, I'm like, but but what happens with right. society when you have a system and a structure that we are so dependent on? Think about what's happened over the last half a year in the United States as schools got shut down. It threw the whole the economy went crazy. Parents were going, you know, nuts about it. we suddenly realized all these functions. So I'm just not I I'm trying to conceive of what does it actually mean in practice, besides
1: a nice thing to say that we have to get outside of that box? So, I have a couple things. I'm going to push on something you said there about like abolishing prisons and police. Um, and you're like, well, what, what's going to happen? And I think as a white man, you might be like, shit, what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, whereas a black man might be saying, thank God yeah. I can. Breathe. I can. So it depends on your p- position what's going to happen. I just want to name that. The second thing, though, about schools yeah, so we went, whatever, six months, whatever amount of time without schools, and you just kind of equated schools shutting to the economy and this. I'm not saying it doesn't have a role. On the other hand, we just went six months without schools. And the things that have been brought up in that, that I've read, well, first, schools are places pe- low-income people eat. Yep. So that's a problem. Well, that does not need to be solved by schools. There's so many ways to do that. Two, and probably not best solved by schools, by the way. Two, it's basically daycare. In fact, there was an article on the, uh, I think in the New York Times, like an editorial that basically said, all right, it's time to admit that schools are basically daycare. Yeah, I read that Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I haven't read it, so I don't, I'm just taking the title of it. And I'm just like thinking, that's... True. So, what we—that's the only way we can do daycare—is the way we have schools right now. So that's another kind of fallacy that I think school—that that this whole thing brought up. The third thing is, the kids that were already at risk are now super at risk. Right, they're fall, They've been behind. Now they're falling even farther behind. And again, so wait, going back to the same old system that led them to be behind in the first place. So I'm just gonna say that if anything, I think the pandemic has shown us how um, the school system isn't really that functional. Yeah. And yes, we could be doing so much better in so many different ways. I'm thinking, I, I don't know if this is a great analogy, I reserve the right to change my mind about it, but I, since you brought up abolishing police, you know, one of the things that I've read about that I think is really smart, just kind of common sense, is well, what if you had, like, so much of police work is dealing with, like, domestic, dis- domestic disputes, and so on, which police are not prepared in any, you know, that's not their sweet spot. But like social workers, there's people that are trained to help with that. So shifting resources that allow more people to support that work of, you know, whether it's proactive or even reactive, seems such a better, like, way for everybody. And... I think that we could imagine for schools. There's so many things like that as well. Yep. There's better ways.
0: So okay. I, yeah, I I agree with that. So one, one thing I want to say is my thesis from early on in the, with the shutdown of schools and what we've been dealing with is, that there have been absolute the pandemic has caused no new problems in education. There's nothing new. Uh, the, The Problems of food insecurity, problems of kids falling behind, problems of literally not even knowing where a kid is, problems of engagement, problems of deciding what's most important for kids. None of these are new. The difference that's been interesting with the pandemic that I think does offer a small glimmer of hope is that Our tolerance, we we were at a place where we were comfortably tolerant of those problems. We were okay as a a larger society with who they were affecting and the degree to which they were obviously manifest to the rest of us. Suddenly, our tolerance level um, changed because it was affecting more kids and it was affecting kids of white middle-class parents. And it was affecting like kids at a high enough rate that it couldn't be ignored. So I think that's important because this didn't cause any. Everything that was is a problem now was a problem then. We were just okay with it in in the larger context. And so that maybe gets a little bit at this reform thing where there were tweaks going on. But let's be honest: not serious urgency from a, a state or national level to make the kind of changes that would clearly close, call the opportunity gap that has always existed, keep talking about it. So that's one thing, And but as I look at how, well, forget about the federal government, but I look at how the states in New England that I'm familiar with, um, or even local school districts have tried to address this, and it's still a bunch of Band-Aids. Um, And so- and and I think in some ways people would think, oh, there are reforms going on because of shifts and changes we're making. But we're definitely very deeply in that box and just trying to get, you know, just trying to get back to normal, back to normal, back to normal.
1: So right. that's, uh, that's been, that's now like people will be thrilled to get back to a normal state of shittiness. And I think that's like the Colin Kaepernick thing you mentioned, like, He's like, no, there's no, normal is not good. We can't go to normal. We have to go. He's really talking about new boxes. We're not a box, right? New paradise.
0: Yeah. Then the next question is if that's, if I agree with you, okay, I'll agree with you. I don't think Gordon Hayward should have education reform on the back of his jersey. Um, I don't want the, you know, Mark Waxman, Circa 2010 school reform jacket that you have in the closet somewhere. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. But so, what is our role? You and I. Like you said, yeah. um, we're still pretty, you know, we've had voice, we've had power in some of this. Uh, what should we be doing right now, or if anything, to push yeah. on this idea?
1: Yeah. That's. Well, yeah. I mean, ooh, that's a good one. Hey, I'm throwing, You start. You've thought about this a little more than uh, You were. I have some thoughts, but they gotta form a little.
0: Okay, my thoughts are clearly not highly formed either. A few, but a few of them. One I would say is. We cannot absolve ourselves of responsibility of being part of this. We've talked about this before. Uh, If we wanna say at its heart, racism is not a black problem, right? It's a white problem. Um, It's not a brown problem, it's a white problem. So white people need to be part of the solution and, and leading in some ways. And I guess maybe I think this, and I don't know how this plays out, but I think we have to have our our blood, sweat, and tears, our effort, our energies, we have to do a lot of the heavy lifting. Maybe that means we can do a little bit less of the deciding and um, direction making in some ways, uh, because I think that's part of it. Like, uh, you know, I always wanna be on the forefront of making decisions and, and so forth. So I'm not sure how much it means really listening learning and following others but it's certainly what it means is i think we have to be in there with sleeves rolled up in some way or another if we really are committed to change so how, how that happens i'm not sure because there are a lot of people out proposing solutions and uh, ideas uh how i would decide to um follow or engage with people is, you know, there's, there's a lot of noise out there. And of course the people in a place like Maine that are, there's a lot of people making noise that are, that are white. There are actually a lot of non-white people in Maine that are trying to take a lead, but the truth is I'm not as well connected to them. Right. Cause it's not my, my, my network as much. Um, although I'm trying to make yeah. some inroads there. Um, so one thing is I think, sitting back but i think we have to be careful about being perhaps more of the uh in 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 a in a worker state as opposed to wanting to be on the front of listen to my opinion as part of this Uh, maybe what do you think
1: Uh, i think that (laughs) no i I, think that makes a lot of sense and i think i still think that it's a yes and answer that still leaves questions about, like, what does that mean to actually yeah. do that? Yeah. You know, like, uh, so, um, I think it's worth thinking about what that actually means. Um, and I will do some thinking on it. I, I have a couple, maybe, specific examples. But let me, let me go maybe just in a little different direction for a moment. Just that, you know, if you asked me 10 years ago, kind of like, well, what are you doing? And I would say, well, what I'm doing is, um, I'm trying to at least, I'm in the box with the schools that I'm working with and, and, you know, trying to open, but at least they're on the edge and maybe we can kind of poke on the edge of the box. And if you keep kind of poking on the edge of the box, maybe the box starts to shift, move, change, open. So, you know, I, I'm not sure I believe that that, clearly I was not successful in that, but that was certainly part of the intention. I, and I'm kind of having a little moment here where I'm thinking about what I'm doing right now with this organization that I've co-founded and been running, this Mindfulness Director Initiative, which, by the way, we just approved a name change. We will be Whole School Mindfulness, Whole School Mindfulness, and uh, so you know we, I have been talking, we've been working on a lot of stuff to kind of market and promote it and explain what we're doing so i've been thinking about that a lot, and i do think like one of the interesting ideas of this this organization is not to try to change the structure of a school it is trying to change people so it's transformative for individual people on all in all aspects of a school community parents, caregivers, students, staff, faculty, and that if you begin to change people from the inside, how they show up, ultimately, I believe systems can begin to change as well. Hmm. Now, that could be a story that just feels good to say, and 10 years from now, I'll be having the same kind of conversation with you about, um, oh yeah, we tried that thing, didn't really work. Um, not so different from trying the school. You know, we gotta keep moving. So I, I do think that's something I can do in this moment is like, you know, this is something I do think is different and has the ability to affect change in a more fundamental way. Also,
0: Wait, can as I ask leader, you a question?
1: Yes, okay, but I, I have I another just, whole piece to this, but go ahead. Yeah,
0: just and, and this might not be the way to go here, but just a quick, This I think you can answer this quickly, I don't know. How is what you just talked about? <laughs> working with the individuals in a school and and helping to sort of have them think and and maybe see themselves and each other differently within a system, different than what you talked about at length in KIPP, where you were trying to change kids to be able to function within an unjust system.
1: Yeah, so I think... No, okay, good. I'll name that very specifically. My point is, I'm not... I'm hoping my theory of change here is that as people transform individually, they wake up to the systems that are holding them back individually and collectively, and then start to change those systems. So it's this idea of liberation, that as you gain more awareness of yourself, of the society of the system and its impact on you, your role within it, that you start to wake up and say, wait a minute, maybe I gotta show up differently and maybe I need to do something to impact this system. Okay. Does that make
0: sense? So, yes, and one more so one more thing. And I know that you've you've talked before, we don't have to get into maybe KIPP specifically, but or any of the schools that we've talked about. I think one of the critiques we've had is that those schools aren't necessarily making kids think in that way. Um, but but I guess my question is, would it be a revolutionary or abolitionist act within schools to be also helping students do that? You know, right? Like Because that's what a lot of schools talk about trying to do, help kids critique the system. Or is that still right. a very much in the box approach to education
1: reform? Uh, I don't think that's very in the box depending on what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I think true abolitionist teaching and, and I don't know if you've looked into that at all, like, I meant to bring that up earlier when you were talking about the abolition of police and prisons. Right. Um, there is a thing called abolitionist teaching and, uh, We've Johnna had me watching a little bit of groups of teachers that have formed a network around this. And I do think they are talking revolution, not reform. And maybe that's also some good language for us. Revolution, not reform. And then, you know, some people will say, well, really, we need evolution. I don't know. These would be interesting things to think about: evolution, revolution, or reform, and what are the differences? But I, I do think, you know, in in an ideal, kind of perfect, uh, perfectly functional—not, no. Let me say it this way: that if the work this organization is doing works perfectly, it could be revolutionary, leading to liberation. Um, Which, if you look in the language of mindfulness and meditation, that's a core piece of this. Which is why I am drawn to that idea of liberation that um, is on Jalen Brown's jersey. Mm. In any case, one other kind of quick aside here, we've I just had a board meeting last night, and we've decided to spend the beginning of each board meeting talking about what we'll call justice. Um, The more mainstream term is diversity, equity, and inclusion, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, So we call, we have a justice statement. We've written down things, not only that we believe, but things we're going to actually do. And we're going to, ref- we're reflecting on those each board meeting. Are we doing them? Where are we? Both as an organization and also how are things showing up for us as people, like our individual way of being in the world? Um, and one of the things we were talking about last night is in, you know, continuing to think about the, the organization being one that is really, I don't know, there's a term, I'm not, not at the tip of my tongue, but not the typical hierarchical power, um, you know, layers of power, but one in which really rethinks how decisions are made, who makes them, and also who's in, uh, the organization, as well as how to um, very in a very focused way support the people that can be the most marginalized and make sure that they have voice. Yeah. yeah. So we were talking just very specifically. Yeah. We have a young woman who was an intern with us this summer, and we've hired to be a part-time employee who, she's 18, maybe she's 19 now, and she, black woman, she's in college right now. Um, And, you know, we got challenged by a board member last night. So are you giving her opportunities to give you feedback? do have voice. We're like, well, maybe not. <laughs> you know, we are we yeah. making sure that's there. <laughs> so anyway, I I think that's another thing that I can do as a white male in a position of power, um, is start to give up some of that power as well as create opportunity for other people to give me feedback and and give them voice. So, I,
0: I appreciate that. And it's going to leave me, as we come near an end here, it's going to leave me thinking yeah. about, there are a lot of parallels, I think, between some of what you're talking about and the organization I work for and some of the efforts we're trying to do organizationally, um, internally, and with our external work. And I'd be very interested to see your your justice uh framework or definition. Um, maybe that's something you can send to me. Uh, maybe we can talk about it next time. I'd be happy to share perhaps next time our, we have a definition of educational equity that we've spent a lot of time working on. Um, yep. But I appreciate what you're saying and thinking about my own role, even within my organization, power structures, voice. Um, and then of course I have a lot of influence with some schools that I work with through my work. And I, I actually have an undue amount of influence in some ways with schools. Uh, and I've gotta be thinking about how this work maps onto my approach with them. So that's, I will yep. be thinking about that in the, in the coming week.
1: I'm gonna leave you with a couple of things. One is, if you go to mindfulnessdirector.org, the, equity, the justice statement should actually pop right up. And if it doesn't, it's in the first drop down menu. Soon to be whole school mindfulness. Um and our uh, statements right there. So I will say, so I wanna leave you with this thought. Maybe you've seen this. If you haven't, maybe this could be a topic to get into in the future. You use the word equity. And so have you seen the cartoon uh, drawing that has the people standing trying to watch a game behind a fence.
0: Yeah, I've seen about a thousand different iterations of that. Yeah.
1: Okay, and so and, and you know you yeah, have people... versions of
0: it in, in in presentations I've done. Yeah.
1: Okay. Have you used the version where the wall itself is gone.
0: Yes. You're not going to get what you on do this, you call but,
1: <laughs> liberation? Yeah, what is that? that That's liberation. liberation, right? Yeah. And the step before that where you have people basically standing on things so they can see is equity. Equity is not liberation. And so if we're going for equity, I think we're we're mis- Guided, and and I want to just challenge that word, and that idea. That's that's a very American meritocracy in term. As long as things are equitable, we're good. And I I, it, I don't like that. Okay, well, there's there no. Go. There's no better way to end this than bringing
0: up my favorite subject, which is the meritocracy that that I am a living example of every day. Um, All right. You've given me a ton to think about. Uh, I love it. I've got I already know some conversations I'm actually going to have with colleagues this week as a result of this. So thank you for that. And um, another another uh, thought provoking and reflective conversation uh, for me. So thank you very much for that.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, and thank you. I'm literally just about to finish up the uh, the first seven and a half, eight miles, and be home, get a quick break at home before going out and continuing. So, just a uh, perfect timing. Thank you, and uh, looking forward to talking again soon.
0: All right, thanks, Mark. Stay stay safe on the run. Yep. Thank you for listening to 3 to 10 Project, Episode 6, Liberation, recorded on October 17th, 2020. And thanks as always to Random Chiz for our theme music.